Well, good morning. It is wonderful to be with you today. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. And if you would, you can grab your notes out of your handout. You'll see that we are continuing in a series called Advent. And we just saw on the screen sort of the weeks that we've been going through as we celebrate Advent. We started this series talking about hope, the incredible hope that first the the people of Israel had at the coming Messiah. And we talked about how today we have this incredible hope at the return of Messiah. So we are also living in that expectation of Messiah. Second week, we talked about joy. That was just last week. We talked about joy and the incredible joy we have in Jesus, the bringer of joy. And then today, what we want to talk about is peace. And so that's what we're sort of the theme that we're talking about today. So I will light the peace candle and uh, and we will just uh, continue on our merry way as we track through Advent. And then next Sunday, with our Christmas Eve services, we'll be talking about love and how the arrival of Jesus in so many ways was the revelation of God's love tangibly expressed to us. So really ex- excited about having uh, the opportunity to celebrate that with the Overlake family. So that's next Sunday evening, Christmas Eve services. But talking about peace, you know, it's interesting when you think about how different cultures, different countries celebrate peace. I found out that in Norway, they celebrate this season of Advent, this peace concept, by um, burning the fields outside of town. That's how they celebrate. And when I pictured sort of my pyromaniac sons running through the fields of Woodenville with torches, it was not a very peaceful scene in my mind. So, so we decided to celebrate it another way. And in fact, you know, around here in this season, um, our culture breaks open the eggnog. And we start to drink eggnog around this time. And even as I say that word, I know that the room is now split into two very distinct halves. Right? This is a total dividing line because some of you are total, you just love eggnog, you love the season, you like the eggnog lattes, and then there's this other group that's a not-on-your-life eggnog folks, right? We call them the eggnots, the non-noggers. Raise your hand if you're a non-nogger. Anybody? Okay. So, so uh, Pastor Pat is a non-nogger. He was talking about it this week. He says, I don't know. He goes, every time I have eggnog, it's like I'm, I'm drinking diabetes. <laughs> so that I can feel my heart slowing, you know. And, and I know that's how some of you feel. You feel like drinking a cup of eggnog is like that cold, milky mucus just sliding right down <laughs> your throat. <laughs> But I'm not that. I am absolutely an eggnog fan. I love eggnog. Anybody? Raise your hand if you're an eggnog. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. That's right. And we're we're talking about peace. And what's so fun is to look at how often peace gets communicated uh, this season. And then what's interesting to me is how often it doesn't get communicated. I found some some fun Christmas cards. Um, This one I thought was interesting. I'm I'm not going to get it for my brother, but it says, Merry Christmas, inferior sibling. Um, And then, of course, you know, tis the season for Darth Vader. I love this one, which says, I find your lack of holiday cheer disturbing. Um, Even Santas sometimes lack peace. We found this video. I thought this was pretty funny. Go ahead and watch this. All right. You take the skinny one on the right. I'll take the big one on the left. NYPD, Santa, stop hitting Santa. 
What's going on here? I've been on this corner for six years. Suddenly this guy shows up. Hey, you don't own this corner. I got a charity too. Canine diabetes. Who cares about a fat dog? Hey, they can't give themselves shots. They got paws. Calm down, calm down. Boyle, first the skinny one. I've gone 42 years without a lump of coal. I'm not going to start now. Are you kidding me? All right, fine. Come here, buddy. Oh, that fell wrong. I said Santa Claus. Merry Christmas. <laughs> All right, so Advent brings us this new understanding of how we interact with these things that God wants for our lives. We talked about hope and joy and today peace. And so I want us to get into this uh, whole concept with the reality that the promise of Messiah actually includes the promise of peace for God's people. So look at this, Isaiah 9, 6, this prophetic word, it says, for to us a child is born. Who's this for? It's for us, right? This is God's gift to us. To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. Now, friends, that makes a great Christmas card, does it not? Right, that's beautiful. Some of you have that card. Some of you have sent that card. And there are many scriptures it, it, that talk about Jesus being peace, and, and that's what we celebrate in this season. For example, Micah chapter 5 talks about this promised ruler is going to come from Bethlehem. Though you are small, out of you will come Messiah. And this is what it says. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And look at this line, and he will be their peace. Again, it's nice, it's warm, it's inviting. Jesus will be our peace. Makes, makes a great Christmas card. And even what Jesus embraced himself, what he communicated to his followers, one of the last messages he gave during his earthly ministry in John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I love this, that Jesus is giving us his peace. Again, this is a, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful card. But I know you, Overlake. I know some of you, you're more edgy. You're more sort of on that cutting edge fringe. And, and you're looking for a different kind of a verse to put on a Christmas card this year. Be the first one of your friends to use Isaiah 8 uh, as a Christmas card, which says... He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he'll be a trap that entangles them. Many of them will stumble and fall, never to rise again. Many will be captured. How's that for a card? <laughs> right? Hoping you're not captured in 2018, love the Smiths, right? Or maybe you come up with a song to go with it. Many will stumble and fall, la, 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 la. No, not feeling it? Okay. But you might read a verse like that, and you go, wait a sec, what is the deal? I thought the arrival of Jesus was the arrival of peace, and yet this seems to indicate that the arrival of Jesus will actually cause some turmoil. It'll actually stir things up a little bit. 
And it's a good question to ask. They're actually not contradictions at all. What it's showing is that the kind of peace that Jesus is bring, uh, bringing to his people, it's a little bit of a different peace. It's a peace that comes to us internally. It becomes pervasive within the people of God. It actually doesn't refer to the external circumstances around us. And I understand that can be a little confusing. The the Bible talks about a peace that you can hold on to no matter what's happening in the world around you. And a great example of this, if you're uh, reading through the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is a great example of this kind of peace. In fact, he writes this in Philippians 4, 7. He says, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want you to think about that. A peace, he says, that is so pervasive, it's going to be inside of you. It's going to guard your heart. It's going to be around your thinking, and it's going to guard your your mind. It's going to guard your thinking. It's this peace that's going to be internal, and it's going to be so beautiful that it's going to revolutionize the way that the followers of Jesus interact with the things in this world. And so it's different. And and again, he says, this transcends understanding, which means, look, it's going to be such a pervasive peace, people will look at it and go, that doesn't make rational sense. There's no reason for them to feel so peaceful in this season because it's internal. This is what Jesus is bringing to us. Now, I know that's different than the world's definition of peace. The world's definition of peace is everything going my way. It's life working out as I like. In fact, you might want to write down the world's definition. It's peace that is personal preference coming to pass. That's what the world's definition of peace is. It's my, my son saying, Dad, I hope you don't mind. I cleaned my room and I finished my homework. <laughs> that is total fantasy right there. <laughs> right? It, it's that idea of a boss saying, hey, I know you haven't met your quota, but here's a raise and an extra week vacation. A professor saying, I know you haven't turned in all the assignments or completed all the tests, but I'm still giving you an A. It's that Ferris Bueller's kind of life, right? And, and that's the world's definition of peace. But it doesn't last and it doesn't work for the long haul. Most of us don't have that kind of experience in this life. So Jesus never said that he came to bring us a trouble-free world. What he did say was, I have overcome the world. And in me, you will have peace and you will be able to live as an overcomer. So hold on to this peace. So Jesus' definition of peace is peace that changes you inside. Peace that makes you a different sort of a person with different sorts of responses so that when all hell breaks loose around you, you can stand and you can have some strength and you can have some wisdom and you can have some courage. You can hold on to peace in the toughest of times as well as in the best of days. Now, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. Shalom. Can you say this with me? Shalom. It was so pervasive in first century culture, this concept of peace, that there was a greeting that the Jewish folks would give one another. Let's say as they're coming together on the street, they would say this greeting to one another. It was this, Ma Shalomka. Can you say this with me? Ma Shalomka. 
It means, how is your peace? Right? This concept of peace, that God's people would be people of peace, it was so pervasive in their culture today. I mean, you could just imagine a couple of rabbis greeting one another on the street, and they're like, shalom, shalom to you, shalom to your mother, shalom in the home, fist bump, shalom, you know. They were, they were so, it was just such a concept that surrounded the thinking in the first century in Israel. And if you're filling in the blanks, the definition of what shalom means is it means completeness, fulfillment, and well-being. In other words, it's a, it's a deeper definition of peace than merely not fighting, right? The, the, this kind of peace, this, this shalom, it's fulfillment and it's completeness and it's well-being. We talk about completeness, you maybe think of a remodel that has finally come to completion, right? It's all the way through the process. You might think of a thousand-piece puzzle when the last piece gets snapped into place. It's complete. It's whole, right? And, and fulfilled, right? You might think about a long project that's finally done. It's, it's fulfilled. You think about, you know, some massive assignment that you've been working on and you finally, you know, you cross the last T and, and you dot the last I. Or this idea of well-being, well-being that comes at the convergence of physical, emotional, spiritual, and relational health. It means whole inside. So regardless of what's going on in your world, Jesus says, Regardless of the circumstances of the culture, regardless of what the economy's doing or anything else that's going on around you, I've come to make you whole inside. I've come to put you back together. I've, I've come to bring a peace that is so pervasive that it just changes the way in which you interact with the world, the way that you interact with one another, the way that you respond to things because you have this shalom. So I want you to see that his peace is not nice and warm and fuzzy, but it's necessary and it's crucial for us to have if we're going to make it through a world that's filled with trouble. Jesus says something about peace that I think is quite shocking, and I think when we read it, we actually pass right over it, and we don't recognize how incredibly uh, revolutionary it is. It's in, um, it's in John 16, Jesus is speaking and he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. The most shocking part of that sentence are the two words, in me. In me. Jesus is talking about the source of peace and the source of peace that Jesus refers to is himself, the Prince of Peace is the source of peace for us. C.S. Lewis expands on this idea. He says, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself. Why? Because it's not there. There is no such thing. And so the Bible tells us that the peace we need most is not some kind of a mental understanding. It's not even a behavior that we exhibit. Peace is a living being. It's Jesus himself. So when you need more peace, Jesus says, what you actually need is more of me. You need to draw close to me. You need to live in intimacy with me. 
That's the source of peace. It's not in, let's just say, Bible knowledge. It's not just in the amount of prayer you have in your prayer life. It's not just in sort of the uh, exhibits of, of holiness, the behaviors or habits of holiness. These things are crucial. They're important. They're wonderful things to build into your life. But I want you to understand that that's not the end. The end is intimacy with Jesus. And so if we miss this, we end up concluding kind of random things. We, we say to ourselves, God, I don't get it, you know. I, I, was, I was doing my quiet time every day, and I still lost my job. Or, you know, I, I, was, I, I was really good at my prayer life, and my girlfriend still broke up with me. Or I was doing a great job of fasting, and the Seahawks still lost, you know. And, and, and you're just, you, you get this angry at God because... It can kind of be in the follower of Jesus' life, it can kind of be that if I do these behaviors, then it's like a bargaining chip for God to do what I want him to do kind of a thing. And, and, and we're sort of misunderstanding that, that whole deal. Those things are wonderful to build into your life, but it's so that you can draw close to Jesus, who is the source of your peace. Jesus in you is your peace. Colossians 1 talks about it's Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. And we looked at Micah 5.5, 5, and he will be their peace, right? That, 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 that word, he, he will be, it's, it's the, uh, the idea is that's where the, the peace comes from. Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace. If you're filling in the blanks, Jesus didn't come and bring peace. Jesus is our peace. He is the Prince of Peace, and he has come to bring himself to us. What we're really looking for when life falls apart is Jesus. Jesus, who says, I am your peace. In me, you will have peace. He is our peace, and that's why he's the Prince of Peace. Now, you might very rightly ask the question, well, how does he become our peace? How, How is this made possible? And the way that all of this is made possible is through the work that Jesus accomplished when he was crucified in our place and then he rose again. The the work of the cross is how Jesus becomes our peace. And again, this is spoken of prophetically hundreds of years before the crucifixion takes place. But Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, 5, speaking of Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, you might want to underline that, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. What this passage says, friends, is that Jesus has purchased our peace. That willingly, sacrificially, Jesus has allowed for peace to be offered freely to us because he lovingly stood in our place and the full penalty of our sin, our iniquity, our rebellion, all that causes shame and guilt, all that causes hurt, all of that was dealt with on the cross of Calvary. Jesus has provided our peace. That's why he is the Prince of Peace. That's why Jesus himself is our peace. And there are three ramifications for those of us who follow Jesus, right? The the idea that he is our prince of peace, here are three things that we need to make sure that we keep at the forefront of our minds. The first is that we are to pursue peace with others. 
We're to pursue peace with others. And again, I said that, uh, that this idea of, of peace or, or shalom in the Hebrew context, that it's so much deeper and, and richer than simply not fighting, right? That's really kind of a shallow definition of peace, not fighting. And yet it's a really good place to start. Right? The idea of, of bringing this kind of relational peace between one another, within our families, within our neighborhoods and communities, within our world, when you talk about nation and uh, with nation, the idea of bringing peace is a beautiful concept. It's a great way to start. And when the angels announce the arrival of Jesus, they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I want to tell you that in our lives today, you know, in, in the American culture, we have a great idea of how often non-peace happens around the world. But many of us, we don't have firsthand experience, and yet we know a lot of things. We know that there are, you know, so many homicides that happen in, in, in America every year. We know that, that there are, there's so much violence that happens between different groups and tribes and countries and militaries, right? We understand all of this in a, in a mental, like we get it here, but maybe we don't understand it here. And a group from Overlake this year had the opportunity to go over to Lebanon earlier and, and work within a refugee camp. And specifically, they were trying to care for kids, children refugees who had been forced from their homes. And, and so they, they put together what they called a trauma care camp. And the whole idea was they wanted to help care for these, these hurts, the, these, these psychological woundings that children escaping violence had, had suffered. And my friend Mark Bauman, he's the chairman of our elders here, he had gone on this trip and he wrote me a, a quick letter about what that experience was like. And I'll just share it with you. He says, the trauma care camps were designed to help boys and girls share some of their story. On the morning of day two, we talked about how the fall in Genesis, you remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago, how sin entered the world and how we live in a broken world today. How many of us have experienced broken things in life? We asked them to draw something that they have seen that is broken. I was not prepared for the drawings my boys shared with me. The drawings were unique experiences to each of the kids, yet one could see the similarity of what they experienced, regardless of where they were from. One boy drew a picture of his school being bombed. He happened not to be there that day, so he survived. However, he lost a cousin in the attack. One of my other kids drew a picture of army men and terrorists fighting. He described it in a very matter-of-fact manner. With all this brokenness, when asked what they want in the future, they drew pictures of houses with trees and flowers. In other words, the, the picture that they had of peace and of wholeness, it was a picture that probably looks very much like the neighborhoods and the communities in which we get a chance to live in every day that we take for granted. And I say all that because I, I get it, that, that this idea of peace with others, uh, the, the idea of non-fighting, it really is sort of a first step, but it's a great first step, isn't it? And the Bible actually talks about those of us who do follow Jesus, that we are called to be peacemakers in our world. You know, Jesus himself says this in Matthew 5, 9. He says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. And so 
Overlake, I know that this is a part of our story. It's a part of who we are and the DNA that binds us together. But we are recognized that this is our challenge, right? We're called to pray for peace in this world. And we're called to wherever we can to engage for peace in this world, to work for peace. Because we are the children of God. And this is what it looks like. We know Jesus is our Prince of Peace. And so because he is our Prince of Peace, now we go into this world and we seek to bring his peace with us, his care, his love, and his peace uh, wherever it is we go. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. amen. And that's something that definitely around Christmas time, I really do encourage you to be praying for more specifically, right? Let's pray for peace. Let's pray that God will show us how to work for peace. That's the first ramification. The second is actually completely internal. It's that we experience peace within ourselves, peace inside. And as we've talked about this before, Overlake, I use the phrase, because of Jesus, we can be at home in our own skin, right? We, we can have that sense of not restlessness, disquiet, always discontent, always looking for the next thing, never just okay to be ourselves, to be who we are, where we are. But because of Jesus, we can be. We can allow our hearts to be at rest. And there's this beautiful passage in 1 John, and I, I put it on your notes here. It's 1 John 3. It says, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest. Underline that phrase, please. How we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts. See, it's, it's a true reality that our hearts condemn us, that we're not at peace within ourselves, ourselves so often. And, and because there's turmoil within and because there, there are these voices of disquiet or discontent, or sometimes the voices are more like guilt and shame. Some of us, we, we hear messages, you know, inside that say, oh, you know, you're not a, a Christian. God doesn't love you, right? These, these horrible lies and, 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 and you're not worthy of love, those kind of things. And and so the, the truth of the matter is, because of the presence of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, we can set our hearts at rest. We can know what's a lie. We know what's true. What's true is that you are loved, that you are priceless, that you are pursued. That, and we've talked about all of these concepts before, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he seeks to let our hearts be at rest within ourselves. And then there's this other ramification which happens because we're not at, at peace within ourselves. Well, then we get really grouchy with one another, right? And we get really impatient maybe with our kids or our spouse that, that uh, you know, if you're caught in traffic, you get impatient there and you're hitting the horn and you're doing the international sign of displeasure. And, uh, you know, there are all these expressions of the discontent which is within us. In the 90s, there was a book that came out and it was written by Dr. Carlson. It was called, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, uh, and then in parentheses, and it's all small stuff. Uh, just by show of hands, how many of you are familiar with this book? It's a super easy read. So here's the deal. I, I, I'm not recommending it necessarily, although if that's sort of where you feel like you are, please feel free to pick it up. Let me just give you the Cliff Notes version. Here's how it helped me. It helped me ask the question, and you can write this down, how important is this really? 
Whatever it was that I was stressed about, whatever it was that I was anxious or frustrated about, just by asking the question, how important is this really? It just, it just brings so much more clarity. And, and it's, it's amazing because the Prince of Peace has come. Because you are a child of God. You are dearly loved, right? This is all true because God loves your family, because God, God's heart is love for the world. Well, how important is this really? If I get the wrong Christmas present, how important is that really? Like if I don't make it on time to this Christmas party, how important is that really? If I, if I get caught in traffic and I'm not able to do this thing, how important is this really? And it just creates a great sense of perspective to allow my heart to live at peace. Now, I did have an opportunity to hear Dr. Carlson speak uh, personally, and he spoke the core message of his book, and it was, it was quite interesting. But I did notice something. Um, Dr. Carlson is not a very engaging speaker. He's a great writer. He's not a great speaker. Uh, but he is peaceful. He's, he's totally peaceful, and his stories were peaceful, and his, even the, his tone was peaceful, so peaceful that my dad, who was also listening, fell promptly asleep and had a great nap, you know, and, and uh, but, but what, was, what was cool about all of that is just, I, like I said, the perspective that you get, so much of what we get discouraged about or distracted by is really not important, right? So it's a great sense of, of okay. I can set my heart at rest because the Prince of Peace has come. And the third ramification is just this, that we embrace the Prince of Peace and we have peace with God, right? Peace with others, peace within ourselves, and peace with God. We embrace the Prince of Peace. The scripture talks about this in Romans 5, 10, and 11. It says, for since we were restored to friendship with God, by, and it's going to talk about the work of the cross, by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be delivered from eternal punishment by his life, by the life of Jesus. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in making us friends of God. I love that last phrase, that we are friends of God because of what Jesus has done for us. Because the Prince of Peace has come, we are friends with God. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful picture. I was talking with Pastor Pat this week, and many of you know and love Pat. Pat is, I, I just think he's one of the greatest humans ever. And if you know him, you know that he's like always smiling, he's always laughing, he's always like, hey, I got this fun kind of a demeanor about him. And what he was sharing was there were some times when that giggly personality that he has got him in trouble as a kid growing up in his home. Because his mom would, you know, try to be serious with him or try to discipline him. And he'd just be laughing and giggling and be like, okay, mom, you know, and, and, and not taking it seriously. And she'd get frustrated with that. And uh, so what he said was there would be times when she'd get so frustrated with him. What she'd do is she'd just throw him out in the backyard and she'd lock the door. She'd say, you wait out in the backyard until your dad comes home and then he will deal with you. Okay. And so Pat, of course, when he got out there, he just he got, you know, suddenly he knew he'd crossed, you know, the line too many times. And, and so he got a little sober. Not that he was drunk. He got somber. He got a little somber uh, back there because he knew and he had this sense of dread 
that when his dad got home, then punishment was coming. And as Pat told me that story, it just hit me like a, like a bolt of light. Like, that's how many of us think about God. We still think about God from a punitive perspective. What's this, what did we just read, though? The punishment is done. There, there is no punishment. That all of the punishment for sin, all, all of the wrath against sin and, and, and the shame and the hurt we've caused ourselves and others, it's all been taken care of by Jesus, the Prince of Peace, on the cross of Calvary. And so now... All we have is friendship with God. You might be sitting here and you might still be thinking, God's going to show up with a paddle and he cannot wait to punish me. He cannot wait. You know, if the other shoe's going to drop and, and it, I'm going to be publicly humiliated by God. Not, no, couldn't be further from the truth. God's not showing up with a paddle. He's showing up with open arms. He loves you. You are his friend. You are his beloved because Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has come, you are friends with God. And so I just, I want to encourage you, Overlake, in this reality. I want you to understand how beautiful this picture is. Even think about the earthly ministry of Jesus. You know, we were talking this week about how if you read through the Gospels and you read about how he engaged with other people, Jesus is that true non-anxious presence in the world, is he not? I mean, he, in other words, nothing rattled Jesus. He was never derailed, right? There was never a circumstance he was like, ah, oh, what are we going to do? You know, like, never. It never happened. The disciples would come to him. They were hungry. They're like, hey, not only are we hungry, all these people are hungry. How are we going to feed them? Jesus, we've got to do something right now. And you could just see Jesus. He's like, you feed them. Why? What are you doing? Just take this seriously, Jesus, you know? And No, really, you feed him, and what do you have? And they just, they couldn't understand, but he was so non-anxious. He was always at peace. The greatest example of this is when they were trying to cross the, uh, the uh, Sea of Galilee. You remember this? They're in the boat, and the storm comes up, and the disciples start to freak out. They're bailing water. They're, they're you know, they think they're going to die. Where's Jesus? He's asleep in the boat. They have to wake him up. Jesus, Jesus, wake up. Don't you care we're going to die? Jesus had so much peace. And then what does he say to the storm, the wind and the waves? He says, be still. Be at peace. Right? He not only is peace, he brings peace. That phrase, ma shalomka, how is your peace for Jesus? It was rich. For Jesus, it was pervasive. For Jesus, it was complete. He was whole. He was shalom. And so, friends, I just want to encourage you to draw close to him today, that you receive the peace that comes from the Prince of Peace today. What the scripture says is this, Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, you will keep in perfect peace, him whose mind is steadfast. Why? Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord, is the rock eternal. So how is it that we have this perfect peace that the Lord will keep us in? 
It's by our trust. And so over like today, I want to encourage you. Maybe you've never placed your trust in the Prince of Peace. Today is a great opportunity to do that. Maybe you've, you've trusted Jesus and you follow Jesus, but peace is something that's kind of elusive in your life. Well, friends, I would encourage you to just lean into him, to press in him, to draw close to Jesus because he is our peace. I want you to know that we light the peace candle, not because we proclaim that we have attained peace, but rather we light it proclaiming that we are in desperate need of the Prince of Peace. And so, friends, let's draw close to him today. I want to ask you to stand with me right now, and we're going to praise him and, and uh, just give him praise. We're going to sing out our praise and our trust in him. But before we do that, I want to pray. So if you would, please bow your heads and close your eyes, and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we... Together as, as your family, we proclaim that you are the Prince of Peace. We proclaim that by lighting this candle that we know that we are in desperate need of your peace, that kind of pervasive shalom that comes all the way through our body, that, that, that idea that you will guard our hearts and our minds with peace that transcends understanding. Jesus, we know all of that is found in you. And so I pray right now for those who have never placed their trust in you, who have never trusted in the Prince of Peace, that today they would cross that line and take that step, that they would say, yes, Jesus, we receive this peace. We receive you. We place our trust in you today. We want to follow you, Jesus. And for all the rest of us, maybe who are already trusting in you, would you allow us to lean into you, to draw close to you, to come near you? Because we declare today that you are our peace. You didn't come and bring peace, Jesus. You are the peace that we so desperately need. So we come to you now humbly and with open arms. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm -hmm.